0: going on. Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode number 13 of the new and improved Matt Bernier Show for Monday, May the 4th, 2020. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. You have obviously Apple Podcasts. You have however you get your podcasts over on an Android device. You have inthemoneypodcast.com if you're looking for audio only. And if you're looking for audio and or visual You can hop on over to YouTube in that search bar, type in the Matt Bernier show. It'll pop up. You'll get not only the latest episode, but all the other episodes that have been uploaded thus far. If you are over there, make sure you subscribe and the bell icon is lit up for the In the Money page as well as Matt Bernier's page because that way you're going to get a notification whenever anything new is uploaded and you can listen to it or watch it at your leisure. If you're someone like me, I do work at the computer. You know, I, I listen to my, my podcasts on my phone, don't get me wrong, but that's typically in the morning or from out doing something or whatever the case may be. Usually when I'm here at the desk, though, I'll have a podcast playing in the background right off of YouTube. And I know that's how many of you digest this thing as well. So you have plenty of options, plenty of ways to do it. Uh, if you are over on YouTube, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever your opinion is, Just give us one way or the other. Because any kind of interaction is always good. Helps pump numbers and things of that nature. So for better or for worse, thumbs up or thumbs down. Greatly appreciated. Rate, review, and subscribe to everything. And as always, questions, comments, or concerns beneath the video player on YouTube. Or directly to me on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. This 13th episode is going to be pretty straightforward. No surprise what we're going to be talking about. The two divisions of the Grade 1 Arkansas Derby from Oaklawn Park this past Saturday afternoon. The Oaklawn Handicap, as well as the Friday featured event from Oaklawn this past weekend, the Grade 3 Fantasy. All these horses presumably would have been running the first Friday and Saturday of May at Churchill Downs. They ran the first Friday and Saturday of May, just happened to be down at Oklahoma Park in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Dive into those performances, update the pick history, dive into the Q&A, and we'll wrap things up here for episode 13. So rather than go over both divisions of the Arkansas Derby individually, I want to have a little bit of a compare and contrast because I know it's been, uh, I've seen folks on social media, it's been a bit of a hot button topic talking about speed figures and, and the races and who's better, Charlton or Nadal. I mean, look, that's up to you. I'll give you my opinion, though. So it'll be a little bit of a compare and contrast. We'll kick things off. Division 1 of the Arkansas Derby won by Charlatan. Division 2 won by Nadal. This year's Arkansas Derby, a little bit different given the circumstances. Split divisions run. Baffert wins both of them. Really, to no one's giant surprise, Charlatan wins at odds of 5-2. to Uh, Nadal wins at odds of 9-10. to So both odds on. Both horses that were heavily hyped coming into the race. Uh, And... Let's start off with the first division and let's just look at sort of the raw nuts and bolts numbers. Charlton goes out there, wires the field, does so setting what I think is a pretty honest pace. You go through and look at some of the fractions uh, 46 flat for a half mile, three quarters and 10 and three uh, excuse me a nine and three stops the clock in 48 and two. is the final time blistering? no not by a, not by a long shot, but it's also not slow. it's not a, it's not as if it was a pedestrian effort. He Goes out there and just is simply faster than everyone else in the race. And that was a little bit of what I spoke about last week with that really early look ahead. Was I just, and this was before obviously shooter shoot didn't end up going. There was no one else in the race that really had the early speed to go with him and keep him company. He earns a 96 buyer speed figure and a raw 119 Timeform US rating. So those are reasonably close. Timeform US had the middle splits of the race color coded red. So if you use the pace adjusted figure, it's upgraded to a 123. I again, I, I sound like a broken record. I prefer to just use the raw number and then let I'll be the one to determine if I think the pace really, regardless of the speed of it and how fast it was, does it, did it help or hurt the horse's cause and ultimately winning the race? To me, with him going as fast as he did, I didn't learn anything from this race, frankly, with the exception of the fact that Charlatan can ship and still run well. The fact that he regressed from a 106 buyer and a 105 in his career debut to a 96 buyer this afternoon or on on Saturday afternoon, rather, I don't don't particularly care. That doesn't really mean anything to me at this point. It's not as though I take this and say, oh my goodness, look at the, the giant drop as far as the numbers are concerned. He went fast throughout and he was a country mile ahead of the rest of the field. There's nothing for me to knock about the effort. I'm not going to freak out about the 96 buyer. Would I have loved it to have been another 105? Sure. But the 96, he didn't lose anything with that. I'm more concerned, and I'll use the word concerned, because I still don't know if if he has to pass a horse. And maybe with the speed that he has naturally, maybe he'll never need to pass a horse. I have no idea. But when push comes to shove, if he needs to pass a horse, can he? And, and I don't mean in a workout against an inferior horse, and look, I know he's, he's worked with some nice older horses of Baffert's, but if he needs to pass a horse, can he pass a horse in a race? I don't know that. I didn't learn that. I didn't think we were going to learn that on Saturday, and we didn't. We know he's talented. We know he's wickedly fast early on. We know he continues to find. I have no knocks about the horse, other than, from a gambling standpoint, he's probably favored in whatever race he runs in ever again. At this point, anyway, and look until he loses or, or whatever else happens. But whatever his next race is, he's going to be the favorite. There's no two ways around that. And I don't know what his next race will be, but if he has to pass a horse, can he do it? I don't know. My gut tells me he probably could because the talent is just oozing, but I, I have no idea. But then to compare him to Nadal, let's move to race thirteen nadal from a pace standpoint i i feel like to me overall ran a considerably better race than charlatan did because he showed a new dimension he showed the ability to rate kindly off of a off of a it was look it was another fast pace but he showed the ability to sit pounce go on with it put away the other horses that were close to him and still have something down the lane he's done it now at different distances at different tracks To me, the effort from Nadal was more heartening than the one from Charlatan. Charlatan, I expected that. Nadal, with the presence of other speeds in here, other horses in a seemingly deeper division, and for him to still win by three, I was more impressed with Nadal than I was Charlatan. That does not mean that I was not impressed with Charlatan. But of the two, the fact that Nadal has proven now that he can sit and still be as effective as when he's out there winging it on the front end, that to me goes a long way. Now when we look and and this is not an apples to apples comparison but it reminds me a little bit of 2015 when you had when Bafford had when we had American Pharaoh and Dortmund and don't mistake what I'm saying I'm not comparing the the talents but from a running style standpoint American Pharaoh had already shown that he could sit off of a target and go on whereas Dortmund all of his wins were—he ba- was—he was a need the lead type for the most part. I'm wondering if we're kind of in a position similar to that right now, where Nadal has proven now I don't need—I don't need to have things all out there on the front end and be the one cutting out the fractions. I can still sit off, and I know he was—it was a perfect trip. He was perched two-three path throughout, and just took over whenever he pleased. But there's still something to that, to showing that you can do that as opposed to seeing these horses at short prices that have not displayed the ability to do so if they need to. If for some reason the dog gets pinched early out of the gate or c- can't procure the position he wants, I-, I have less concern about him being able to overcome some adversity simply because, again, he's shown that he can go buy someone as opposed to charlatan where if he missed the break or for some reason somebody was quarter-horsed out of there and chose to go 45 flat for a half mile, I'm, I'm if I had to bet on it, he, yeah, I think he probably could, but I don't know for certain, and, and we're trying to just limit the amount of things. Bob Neumeyer told said it to me years and years ago. He said, you want to limit the variables. And a variable with Charlatan is if he doesn't get the lead, what happens? Nadal has proven that. That's not an issue. Now, when we talk about the nuts and bolts numbers-wise for Nadal, a raw 121 time form US rating, and from a buyer standpoint, he actually ran a faster race, a 98 buyer. It all checks out when you take a look at the final times, the final time for Nadal's division, 148.34. When you compare that to charlatans, they stopped the clock in 148.49. So you're talking, it's not a tremendous difference, but 0.49 versus 0.34, you're talking about Roughly a length difference as far as the final time is concerned. and you you can't really say, I don't believe that one race was faster as a result of the pace situation because the paces were so similar, maybe with the exception of the opening quarter, but even that, they really weren't that different. If you go back to charlatan's race, for him to be out there by himself, 2288, 4608, 10968, 3533 stops the clock and 4849. You compare that, and again, these are the fractions that the pace setter, the the horse that was on the lead at these points called, uh, earned, but keeping in mind that Nadal was basically a half length off throughout, so he was right there as well. 23.08, 46.21, 109.85, 35.63 23.08, 46.21, 109.85, 35.63 stops the clock in 48.34. I don't think there was a giant difference in the way that these races were run. I find it interesting that Timeform US doesn't have the second division with red fractions compared to that of the first division when the paces were so similar. There was a difference. Yes, Charlatan went a hair faster, but when we talk about how horses earn figures, Charlatan did it all by himself on the front end while Nadal did sit. Comfortably off of a target and and took that one over whenever he wanted. Of the two, I was more impressed with Nadal. Don't mistake in that. I still think they're both probably they're one and two, or close to it. I I I still think tis the law is you know don't sleep on him. And I know uh, Authentic is still out there for Baffert, but and you've got Honor AP and you've got some other really nice runners. But for Baffert's horses, it feels like to me these two they've proven more than a horse like Authentic has at this point in his career. Now, the reason I don't have much else to say and I didn't want to go division by division is because I didn't see a hell of a lot of running happening in these races. Uh, We'll start with the first division. And I was going to tweet something earlier on Monday and I chose not to just because I I didn't know. It's always difficult with Twitter and and text. You know, you don't always get your point across and people can read it and misinterpret it. I'm, you have to be concerned. I, at least I am anyway. At this point in the year, When you get the horses, when, when Charlton, you know, technically regresses the way that he does, I, visually, he didn't regress. Visually, he checked another box. He went out to a mile and an eighth. He shipped, he did X, Y, and Z. He, he looks good. Forgetting what I was talking about just prior, talking about the whole passing thing, but from a day-to-day basis, he's not, he's not regressing. He continues to, to move forward. I look at some of these other horses, especially with the figures that they're earning, and you got to start to wonder a little bit if they've already plateaued. And that's not a good thing. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't improve over time and as the season goes on, but, and I, you know, Captain Obvious, the horse that I've liked for a while, Governor Morris, I have to, you got to be honest and say, and I think this is the difference between players that get a little bit just so ingrained and so married to one horse or one barn or whatever it is and saying, oh no, this, you know, it's going to work. And, and, purely objective players and looking at it saying something's not it's not clicking or he's just not as good as I thought he was and I had said that coming out of the Florida Derby that maybe he's just not as good as I thought he was I said last Monday that you know what going back and looking at the run at Gulfstream he does not have to love that track you're gonna get another mile in an eighth race here you're gonna get maybe a little bit more favorable situation probably not good enough to run with charlatan but maybe you can get second I know he was only beating a neck for a second, but I look at him and from a figure standpoint, he's just not getting any better. I mean, his career debut, he earned an 83, and this was his fifth lifetime start. He earns an 87 buyer. The lot from first to last, as far as his numbers are concerned, in his career races, he's run five times 83, 78, 88, 88, 87. He's not getting any better. And that now, at this point, I'm starting to say, we got to, we, not only is he not as good as I thought he was, I don't know how good he actually is now at this point. And that's that's disappointing for me as someone that that thought they saw something in him. And again, I'm probably pushing him to the winner's circle of the Travers or whatever race over the summer they're going to point to. But he just right now is not, he's very grindy. He doesn't show any real brilliance and... I, at a short price next time out, I don't know that I that I necessarily need him. I've made it clear I'm not a huge Basin fan, and even with this race, which technically was the best he's run here as a three-year-old, he's not really improving. When you look at his overall body of work, he's run six times, 70, 86, 85, 84, 79, 87. He's not, he's not getting any faster, and I can say that for all the horses in this division, and then you move over to the second division. The reason I'm a little bit more forgiving for this division, and and I say that, it's really only for the top three, because, you know, a, a horse like King Guillermo, when you just look at the numbers, again, the 99 that he earned in the Tampa Bay Derby, this 93 in the Arkansas Derby is not as fast. Did he regress? I guess technically, but I don't look at it that way. To me, he proved more in this race than he did in the Tampa Bay Derby. He beat a suspect field down in Oldsmar that day. He comes here and sure, he's no match for Nadal, but he was trying and ran through the stretch, ran through the wire. I thought it was a good effort. I like that he responded when he when he felt the stick from Sammy Camacho. This, to me, he proves more earning the 93 than he did with the perfect trip at nine, earning the 99 in the Tampa Bay Derby. This is the kind of race I want to see from a horse like King Guillermo compared to what we saw from a horse like Governor Morris in that first division of the Arkansas Derby, where there's just the figure you know, technically is, is kind of on par with where he's been, but I don't think he's getting better. Meanwhile, I can say the opposite for King Guillermo. Despite the fact that the number may have regressed slightly from a buyer standpoint, I actually think he ran the best race of his life so far. So I, I'm still encouraged with this horse. Keep in mind, he's run twice as a three-year-old, and this was his first race since the beginning of March. He He's still very lightly raced, very inexperienced. He can continue to improve as well. Finnick the Fierce, you know, he's... I, I don't want this to sound like I'm just kind of dismissing the horse, but this was just such a, I don't want to say out of left field, but he hadn't run anything remotely close to this before. I I need to see it again before I really fully buy into it. And then I can get to the horses that I just look at and go, what is your excuse here? Farmington Road, another horse that I've been high on that I like. And he just, A, has no speed and B, isn't getting any better. I mean, look at his overall record, his resume. He's run six times. 58 74 74 85 86 87. He's not getting any better. He's not getting faster. So you can run all day, great, but that doesn't I mean if you have no early speed and you're not really improving as a 3-year-old this time of year, I mean that, that's a problem. It's one thing if you're if you're plateauing in the mid 90 range and you're still one of the fastest. The plateau period I'd be concerned it doesn't matter who it is. But if you're plateauing in the mid to high 80s, I, you know, boy, we're going to need to we're going to need to bump up here pretty quick. Uh, for me to look at you and say, okay, we still have hope because I'm starting to look at it and say, all right, may, boy, maybe a number of these horses aren't really what I thought they were. Wells you, it doesn't bother me a ton. He, I made it clear on Monday, I thought he had a very cushy trip worked out in that run down in Louisiana Derby. He comes here, faces a much hotter pace, faces much better horses and folds. Can't do it. We'll see what happens with him going forward. I suppose if there's races where he just gets out there on a loose lead and nobody wants to go with him, he could be very, very dangerous. But uh, this was a race that I was a little bit disappointed in. Storm the court look, a two-year-old champ. You take that race away. You take out his Breeders' Cup Juvenile, which, by the way, has not come back a strong race. There's just not a race on his page that is, is particularly impressive at this point. Uh, he's another one that you can make the case that he's not getting better. Uh, and I still maintain with him i I don't know if he'll pass a horse. He is a prime example of what I was speaking about with charlatan charlatan the the talent is there. he probably can if he needs to, but you don't know for certain. a horse like Storm the court is showing that if he doesn't get the front, he's just not really a contender and I'm, I don't mean to pile on a fourteen to one shot in this race, but you know when you're the champion, people expect a little bit more for you to go you know going forward or the expectation is there for for bigger and better i'm starting to get a little bit concerned that maybe we're not going to see any bigger and better maybe that was his career highlight um i can say the same for silver prospector silver prospector to me there was what's the what's the excuse he has two outliers throughout his entire career he's run 10 times he has two races that are above 90 as far as buyers are concerned. He has a 91 and a 97. Otherwise, his career best buyer is 82. So I really thought we'd get a, a better effort from him on Saturday. We didn't. He, he's one where I just I throw my hands up and go, I, I don't know what, what we've got here. So these two divisions, it's a it's a tale of two stories. It's the three horses that I think are still very much toward the top of their crop at this point. The two Bafford horses and King Guillermo. And then it's everyone else. And either the, the known commodities are not improving the way that, they, that I think they need to at this time of year. Or we've got the overmatched horses that they look like they were going to have a hard time anyway going into the race. For, for a crop that to date I think is pretty solid... I'm starting to wonder if we're, if we're separate, you know, my friends and I have a, a, there's a gif that you can, you can, you know, text back and forth that you can put on, on Twitter. And it's Macho Man, Randy Savage, and he's got the little creamer and he's doing an interview with, uh, I don't even know who it is, but he, you know, the cream rises to the top. Well, I think we're, I think we're starting to see that a little bit. Nadal, Charlatan, King Guillermo, We'll see what happens. in Santa Anita Derby, it sounds like it's going to be June 6th. I'm sure you'll see Authentic in there. Maybe you see Honor AP. Tis the law. He's the cream. He makes that, you know, the Florida Derby, strings it out. I just think there's, I think we're really getting to a point where maybe we're starting to see that sort of line of demarcation, where if you're above it, you, you're a legitimate player. And if you're below it, we're probably looking at minor races. It's still early. They're still lightly raced. They can still improve. And maybe I'll look like a fool when we go back, you know, three months from now, when I go back and, and listen to this. But the the two Arkansas Derby races on Saturday to me began to show potentially on the heels of all the other things we've seen from these three-year-olds that maybe there's a pretty a pretty definite line drawn between the true players and sort of the also Rans. The three winners for me. The horse I was most interested in seeing on Saturday was King Guillermo. I thought he acquitted himself very nicely. I he did very well despite the fact that the 93 buyer was less than the 99 earned in the Tampa Bay Derby. I'm more impressed with this one than I was in that one. And then the obvious ones, Charlatan and Nadal. Of the two, I'm more impressed with Nadal. I recognize that it's a hot-button topic and people say so-and-so is going to take so-and-so's lunch money. This horse is a million times better than this one, blah, blah, blah. I have no idea, nor do they, nor do you, but we all have opinions, and I'm curious what yours are. Beneath the video player on YouTube, let me know of the two Bafferts, not including Authentic. We can talk about him in time, but of these two, who are you more impressed with? Charlatan, who is breaking land speed records out there early on, and just he just looks like that that powder keg, or Nadal, who he's shown a, one added dimension that Charlatan has yet to show. Thus far, no question, they're both very talented animals. Throw King Guillermo into the mix; they're the three winners for me. Everybody else got some explaining to do. Hopefully, we can see some better races from them in the time to come. Let's rip through the Oaklawn handicap as well as the fantasy from Friday. The Oaklawn handicap won by, by my standards, he pays eleven dollars. I, I look, I, I think this is a really, really nice racehorse. I know many people were a little bit skeptical going into this race coming out of that New Orleans classic about the trip and I I do understand because it's kind of handicapping one-on-one sitting off of a slow pace with an inferior opponent who had a bad break and needed to rush up to procure that position I mean that's a that's about as good a setup as you're ever going to see unless you get an uncontested lead but I think there is a, a point where we need to sort of separate the the trip situation from horses that potentially just work out good trips and create good trips because they're good horses they're good gate horses which by my standards is he has tactical and rateable ability it's not like he's some speed crazed nut out there sitting off of a target he waits for command and Gabe Sayas has ridden him really really well I made it no bones about it I didn't love that he took a left hand turn out of the gate in the New Orleans classic but in this race here the Oakland handicap he breaks really really sharp Warriors charge wants to go. You understand why. That's his game. He's a speed horse. Going to send him and try to wire the field. By my standards, takes up that nice position sitting just off of him. The fractions were pretty legitimate throughout. Uh, 23 flat, 46 and four for a half, 10 and three for three quarters. They stopped the clock in 47 and four. And from a a numbers standpoint, the horse earns a 102 buyer speed figure and a pretty nice Raw time form US rating as well, a 126. So there's about a four-point differential there. Maybe one's a little bit high, maybe one's a little bit low. I, I just think this is a, a really talented racehorse. I don't know any other way to put it. I feel like he, maybe he gets a little bit of a bad rap for running down at the fairgrounds uh, for the majority of his career to date anyway. But he beat a good field here. I thought he did it impressively enough. The thing that I also love compared to Uh, the three-year-olds that we saw, and by the way, I don't think I made mention, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, of the Timeform US rating for Nadal. He earned a raw 121. So again, a few points higher than what the buyer sort of corresponds to. The buyer was a 98, 121 for Timeform. Anyway, back to buy My Standards. His 126 Timeform rating, that's you know, with the exception of the the really you know next level runners that we've seen over the past handful of years, the gun runners, the arrow gates of the world, um, even the, you know if you want to include California Chrome and, into that group, I mean that that 126 that stacks up pretty well for thinking Breeders' Cup Classic type. Um, the, the added you know eighth of a mile, I I don't see any reason why it should be an issue for him. And and kind of going back to what my initial point was, the idea of What I liked so much more about this race than I did the three-year-olds, who they all ran at a mile and an eighth. From a time standpoint, there's no question this race was faster. Yes, they went considerably slower to the half and to the three-quarter, and that benefited a horse like by my standards. But for him to finish the way that he did, we we talk about it all the time with the Kentucky Derby, run at a mile and a quarter, that if you can run that final quarter mile anywhere sub-26 seconds, you're probably going to be in with a chance. And even if you're a closer, if you're going to finish in 25, you're going to have a chance because you're going to have a ton of tired horses. For me, that magic number is sub 26. If you're sub 26, you, you probably at least have a puncher's chance, depending on where you're positioned on the racetrack, obviously, throughout the majority of the run. With a horse like this, for his final eighth to be in 1244, if you want to say, you know, you attack on an extra eighth, I'm not suggesting he's going to pair up 1244s. And give you a, a low 25 sort, sort of final quarter. But I do think it's not without, within the, you know, out of the question that he is in that sort of 25 and three type of time uh, for that final quarter mile, should he ever need to run it. And, and, and hopefully he runs in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I'm very interested in him. I, I just, I think he's a good horse. And I think at a certain point, regardless of connections and what you think of certain people, and as far as their profile is concerned, oh, well, they haven't done it on the biggest stage, are they capable? I think at a certain point you you just look at it and you say it is horse racing, and I just think he's a I just think he's a good horse. Uh, Warriors Charge loses nothing in defeat to me. He's a speed horse. He's one dimensional in my opinion to date anyway. He is he's another one. He's not shown that he can pass horses if he needs to. He's a speed horse. If he can get out there and, and cut out the fractions on his own, he's definitely a talented one. I wouldn't put it past him to steal one. I just wonder if things don't unfold favorably for him. Does he can he win races like this? uh mr freeze a little bit of an interesting tactical move to take him from off the pace i thought he would be much more prominent throughout he ran on well i'm still not sold that a mile and an eighth is his best sort of game i think he might be better at a one turn configuration i don't know when they're going to run the met mile but i could see that being a nice spot for a horse like mr freeze tacitus does what tacitus does he picks up pieces he runs on late he earns a nice enough figure he took money again it's just one of those things where he's He's a fine horse. I just, you know, he he's not he'll ne- I shouldn't say never. He has not yet lived up to the expectations that I definitely had of him and that I know a number of other people had of him. He just he's a fine horse. He's underneath fodder for me at this point. Uh, as far as the rest of the field is concerned, I didn't see any news about Trophy Chaser. Perhaps I missed it. He's not badly. Um, you hope everything is okay there, uh, because I I did think his two runs were were very solid in Florida, and and this just didn't work out for whatever reason. Uh, Combatant, I didn't see, you know, I I don't know if anything happened there as well. It was just, honestly, outside of the top few runners, I, I don't know how much running really went on from the back. I guess if you want to look at it and give Tax the benefit of the doubt, because we hadn't seen him since the Pegasus World Cup, so maybe he needed a race before we'll see his best, but I just, I'm really taken by By My Standards. I think he's a really nice horse. I think he's a legitimate threat. If they get to that point and he's in this sort of form, I think he's a legitimate threat to win a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. I know it's very early and so much can change over the next six months, but uh, I think By My Standards is a really talented racehorse. Now, we move to Friday, and I suppose you can say, you can kind of, both days I saw the argument made in social media, and, you know, maybe we'll agree, maybe we'll disagree. I saw a number of people bring up that perhaps it was difficult to make up ground at Oaklawn Friday and Saturday. I'm not willing to go that far. I always think it's difficult to make up ground on dirt. That's just the nature of running on dirt. I think, again, being forwardly placed is an advantage. You want to be out there either on or near the lead as opposed to trying to rally from off of, because it's just not a running style conducive to victory on dirt. Having said that, the horses that either won or were close to getting the job done in both friday and saturday's races that were forwardly placed to me they all kind of made sense they weren't complete stunners and i'm even saying that about swiss skydiver who i'll admit i clearly overlooked and underestimated i didn't like the Gulfstream park oaks i just didn't i didn't think it was a good race and i'm still not entirely sure that i'm wrong but i was wrong about swiss skydiver because this it's difficult to say that this wasn't an impressive performance. I don't know in what world, unless you thought it was a conveyor belt, which I would push back on because earlier in the card, there were horses that passed runners that came from way out of it and and did a number of different things. So I don't think it was impossible to make up ground. I just, she was really impressive. And for a horse that I've never loved, I give Kenny McPeak credit. She, she showed different dimensions. She's sitting off of a really nice horse in Venetian Harbor. We'll talk about more in a minute, but she powered home in this race this was a strong effort through and through i have no i have no knocks 99 buyer speed figure uh she earned something very similar as far as the corresponding uh time form u.s rating would be concerned if i can pull this up here momentarily it it just all around it was a solid effort she earned a raw 118 time form rating that stacks up it's basically an apples to apples comparison there so um, I don't have, like I said, there's really not a lot for me to say other than she was really impressive, and this is certainly an encouraging performance. She ran fast. She did it at a different track. Her last three races, I didn't love her running the in the Fairgrounds Oaks. Clearly, I thought she had everything go her way in the Gulfstream Oaks, but then she comes here, and maybe she had a little bit of a, a speed-friendly strip. If you're trying to make that argument, again, I'm not going to, but. I just thought she ran really, really well. She powered home. It's not like she was slowing down at the end of the race. And mechanically, she did everything the way that you'd like to see a horse do this. Um, I I just, all around, I thought this was a very encouraging and promising effort for Swiss Skydiver, a horse that I didn't believe the fig going into it. Fig checked out. She gets the job done and pays, what, $34, somewhere around there. As far as Venetian Harbor goes, uh, I'll be very curious to see how she exits this race and what the plan is going forward for her if the Santa Anita Oaks is run on June 6th, I wonder if that's, you know, in the cards for her to be involved going as fast as she did off the layoff that she was running off of. She, to me, she loses nothing in defeat. She popped back to her left lead at the end of the race. Yeah. It's not what I love to see, but given the layoff, given how fast she went and she took pressure, I mean, I'm not going to hold it against her that she got a little tired at the end of the race That, that, you know, it's not the end of the world there. I still think the talent is, is immense. Um, she ran really, really well, and there's no reason to think that she can't continue to improve off of this with a race under her belt wherever her next race is. You would like to think that she'll be a tighter version. And you know, I, I'm not I didn't really see enough to make me think that the distance is what got to her. I just think it was probably a combination of the layoff and the pace situation going as fast as she did, uh, that ended up kind of getting to her at the end of the race. But I thought this was a good effort from her. Um you know some of the other runners Harvey's a little goyle she definitely had some trouble going into the first turn she got sought off by she dares the devil uh British idiom went for home round in the far turn and and she just kind of came up empty at the top of the lane disappointing effort maybe she just hasn't bounced back out of her two year old form uh Lake avenue was reasonably close to the pace along with ringleader they both ended up faltering down the lane and then you had horses rally from off of it and i'm I have to you know clarify and and sort of preface this by saying i i am a biased i'm a biased player with this horse and i know it goes against what i was saying before and, and I, I still try to maintain objectivity here objectively she's way too slow to run with any of these girls right now the big girls anyway the the swiss skydivers if you will the, the venetian harbors and those types um, she dares the devil i don't think this was an ideal situation for her going into the first turn she gets pinched between a little bit checked back she's the one that darts to the inside impedes harvey's little goyle as well as one other horse down on the inside with rosario mid-pack she's got to tap the brakes going into the far turn then she's behind a horse that's just kind of going evenly and and rosario has horse he's got nowhere to go and turning for home obviously you're never going to threaten the top two she scoots up the wood she gets a piece of this thing she galloped out very very well All I'm saying is maybe she's not, maybe she's not as good as the top two, but I don't think she is 11 lengths worse than they are. I think if she had clean run, I think if things played out a little bit differently, she's probably still no better than third, but I think the margin is not nearly as dramatic as it, you know, a quarter mile. I think she's still sneaky in, in a race going forward, wherever that may be. Uh, she dares the devil. I'm still high on her. I still think, I don't think this race was as bad as it looks on paper. I think she's actually a little bit better than this. Uh, but again, we'll only know in time when they come back and they run out of this. Thoughts on the Oaklawn handicap as well as the fantasy? Let me know beneath the YouTube player or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now let's transition into the updated pick history and Q&A. Wrap things up with the updated pick history as well as a couple of questions comments. Uh, the pick history is nearly identical as far as the strike rates are concerned from last week. Uh, the win percentage we're now dealing with a sample size of 115 picks, uh, 21% winners, 50% in the money. Uh, the win ROI is two dollars forty six cents. The win plays show ROI two dollars twelve cents. Uh, For the win side of things, you would have wagered $230. You would have had $282.40 returned. Uh, The the across-the-board numbers, you would have wagered $690, had $729.40 returned. Uh, The ROI on the win end went down, what, 12 cents from last week. The win percentage is still the same at 21, uh, and the WIPs... Is actually gone up a percent from last week, 49% to 50%. The ROI has stayed the same level at 212. And the numbers are slightly. When I'm going with the ROI, it's at six percent for the WinPlay show. Technically, it's 5.7 and a half percent or something like that. I, I've rounded up. And actually, I'm, i I thought about tweeting it out. Maybe I will just take screenshots of the the sheet that I use to to kind of keep track of everything. Uh, red is obviously a loss, green is positive and the whole nine and it calculates it all. So, um, maybe I'll find a way to get that out there somehow just to show everyone how it all looks and how it all stacks up. Oh, the other thing that I was curious about, and I'll actually look at it right now. I think one of the other pieces of the whole thing that I'm most, uh, that I try to really maintain is it, I've, I've said this and I don't want it to sound kind of like derogatory or, or, you know, making fun of anyone, but if you picked all the favorites, you would just inevitably win more than a third of the time. But your ROI would be garbage. So I, I try to pick as few proper chalks as possible. And I, I mean, you know, two to five shots. It happens, don't get me wrong. But I don't typically do it. So of the 115, as far as the sample size is concerned, I did this a few weeks ago. I want to say the average odds were like six and a half or something like that uh, i'm going to pull up the new sheet here and see and do this on the fly what the now through 115 selections what the uh, average odds of said horses are come through oh and of course it's gonna be silly for me isn't it it's gonna be a jerk and this makes for great listening makes for just fantastic audio I know one last thing we do this we do this 7.8 so the average odds of the horses that I've been given out is just a shade under eight to one uh, and that's that's kind of like that's how I gamble that's how I play in contests I mean that that's you, you, you pick if, if a horse is two to one and just seems like an absolute you know cinch like earlier this weekend, I was not afraid to to pick Chad's horse, Network Effect. I just thought he was better than everyone else. He was three to five, but I was going to go with him. Also, not afraid to throw out some horses that don't pick their feet up, unfortunately for me. You know, a horse like, uh, we'll use King Orb on Sunday afternoon in the nightcap at Gulfstream. There was no pace in the race, or it didn't materialize anyway, but he was 18 to one or 17 to one. You, you know, it is what it is. So that's where those numbers stand as of now. One of the comments. From the comment section beneath the YouTube player, beneath the video player on YouTube, I should say, was uh, alluding to the pick situation, which I have said now for two weeks that I'm going to explain where you will find the things because at some point they're not going to live on Twitter anymore. Uh, Just to kind of piece it all together, where were we? Where were we? Where were we? Um, B Clark and Josh Butler going back. One of B Clark's uh, statements or pieces, uh, Brady, I should say. Uh, last week you mentioned a place to find all your picks long-term picks that are both transparent and profitable in any sport are valuable and hard to come by. So I'd love to hear what you have planned and how I can access pay for them going forward. Uh, Josh Butler's, uh, reply was, I hope he doesn't start a paid subscription. He does a great job educating everyone with his picks on Twitter, which only attracts more people into the game. I get the whole, if you're good at something, never do it for free, but Matt's knowledge and insight and in the game needs to be heard by as many people as possible. I appreciate all the nice comments and all the, the friendly things. Um, I'm not starting my own thing. I've been given the directive not to explain it all right now until it's 100% tightened up. But I'll say there is something coming. And I know I keep teasing it. But I've been given the, the directive to hang tight. That's all I can say. But at some point soon, there will be a place that you'll be able to go and find everything. And I will make it abundantly clear where you can find that. Not only here, but on Twitter and anywhere else. So, keep in, it's coming. I promise. The, uh, the interesting comment, that, or one of, and I shouldn't say the interesting, I appreciate all the comments and the, the thoughts about the races and all sorts of different stuff here and on Twitter. The one that I was most interested in was from Gemini 3. Excellent show. I feel that you don't typically factor in track conditions a whole lot. Examples, fast versus sloppy in your assessment of past performances. Is that correct? Uh, first thing, thank you for the question and comment. Um, it's difficult. I don't want to say that I don't factor it in because... The, the, you know, you can look at it a few different ways. The number is the number. It's true to a degree. You know, I don't argue with the number for the most part. I think the number is the number. But at the same time, there is a way to earn certain numbers. You know, if you are loose on the lead and you're setting tepid fractions, that number to me inherently is not quite as good as it actually suggests that it is. But the number is is the number. It's what they stopped the clock in compared to par and all that stuff. Going back to Nancy Moran's question and comment from last week with the whole buyers with how the figs are created and, and all that sort of stuff. So wet tracks typically can lead to very, very sort of exaggerated wind margins. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the figures are incorrect. But I'm always more intrigued to go back and see what that what that race actually looked like. And, you know, uh, I know I've talked about it back when I was with the form, me and Illman would go back and forth about it, just both in agreement saying that it's not, it's not that the horses love a wet track. It's just that some of them hate it a lot less than others. They all really don't love it, but some of them just can't stand it. So I I factor it in, especially when you're dealing with more inexperienced horses, whether they're two-year-olds or early three-year-olds or whatever it may be. And you get a horse, let's say going into, I'll just use an example. This is typically how, what comes to mind for me with this sort of thing. If you're dealing with a two-year-old or an early three-year-old who they've only run three or four times, and let's say they're stepping up in the graded stakes company, but they're doing on the heels of a blowout victory over a sloppy track, typically those slot, I don't want to say typically, but in many cases, the wet track can really make the the final margin and the figure a little bit better than maybe the horse actually is capable of producing. And then let's say you have to do it on a fast main track. It's a totally different game. And and I am always going to look at those horses that perform really, really well on wet tracks, a little bit of side eye when I go through my PPs, because I don't, I don't want to fall for the horse that has, you know, we've also another term that we've gone back and forth with me and my friends over the the years. I don't want to I don't want to be a sucker for the phony fig. The phony fig meaning it's not the number's not phony, but the performance may have been kind of phony, may have been a little bit dressed up. And the same goes the other way around. Where if you have let's say I'm making it up a race where a number of horses are trying a wet track for the first time but you have a horse who has proven that the wet track is not a major obstacle for them. And they've won impressively in that, this, that, and the other thing. But typically they may not be as good as their contemporaries in today's field. I'll give them an extra look on the off chance that the other horses who are going to be shorter prices, they don't take to the track for whatever reason it is. If the pedigree suggests that they're not going to be able to run on a wet track. And again, a lot of off track running is a lot of guesswork. And I should also preface this by saying I try to avoid wet tracks at all costs. I just, I'm, it's not a super strong suit of mine, but I think the, the, the point being is still accurate and still valid that maybe you want to give those types a little bit of a second look or in a third look in a race where typically maybe they're a little bit under, underwhelming. Maybe they can't quite stack up with the best of the best maybe they get moved up a few points because they have proven themselves on a wet track as opposed to the others who yeah I, I, if everything is evil uh, is uh, excuse me if everything is equal they're prob- they're more talented than horse A but they're not proven on the wet track and horse a has shown the ability to really run quite well on a wet track give them an extra look and conversely if you get a situation and let's just use two-year-olds as an example horse that has a blowout victory in one of those final graded stakes races leading into the breeders cup juvenile you know but it came over a wet track and they won by the length of the stretch i'm always going to look at that a little bit mm, a little bit of side eye and wonder and it doesn't mean that the horse can't replicate that and won't replicate that on a main on a fast main track but I think you always want to be cognizant of those sort of things and factor that in and it's part of the reason I always suggest making a value line have there be a cutoff point I'm you know what the horse looked awesome and from a figure standpoint the horse should be three to one but I don't know that I really believe that, or I'm a little bit skeptical about that last performance on that wet track here this afternoon on a fast main track. I'm not going to take anything less than nine to two or five to one. Or conversely, the other way around, where you know what, the horse looks a little bit, a little overmatched on a on a fast main track, but it's been raining cats and dogs here. Typically I'd say the horse should be a, a 12 to 15 to 1 chance. Maybe today I'm going to say 8 to 1, I'm okay with. So that's, that's how I typically go into it and look at sort of wet track versus fast track, uh, yielding turf versus firm turf, you know, any of that kind of stuff. I very rarely am I going to sit here and just immediately line out a horse unless they're just entirely too slow for the race. Um, and I think that's a good exercise as well to get into the habit of just looking at it and saying, I'm not going to waste my time on this horse. The horse is just not fast enough. And if the horse wins, I'm not going to be disappointed because under no circumstances would I have had them. I think it just expedites the process a little bit. You can get through it and say, look, if if in a 10-horse field I can knock off three of them before I've even really done a deep dive, I've just made my life a lot easier. So um, hopefully that answers your question. Thank you for leaving a question. Anyone else? Different questions, thoughts on horses that are running right now, whatever the case may be. I know I don't get to all of them, but I think that's kind of by design. I want to have some reason to have people continue to contribute and, and not just go to the same ones over and over again. And I don't mean that I don't want to hear from everyone over and over, but just, you know, by design, we want to use one or two a week. So beneath the video player here on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, however, you've been listening. Thank you for doing so. You've got in the money com, Apple podcast, however, the podcast situation works on Android. Uh, and then you clearly have YouTube here. You can go on, search that bar, Matt Bernier Show. It pops up. Make sure you subscribe, you rate, you review to everything. Uh, and again, on Twitter, if you're curious, you want to just follow along, you want to shoot the breeze, at Bernier underscore Matt. That's going to wrap up episode 13 here for the first Monday in May. I will be back next Monday. It sounds like we're inching closer and closer to some more tracks opening up. You know, Oaklawn is closed down for the year. They were a great sort of, you know, reprieve for all of us to to know that they were going to run, that Gulfstream was going to run, that Tampa was going to run. Tampa's extended their meet through May, which is awesome, but it sounds like we've got racing in the not-too-distant future, perhaps at Churchill Downs, perhaps at Santa Anita, maybe even at Belmont Park. Just keep an eye out. So hopefully sooner than later, we'll be talking about some more racing uh, on a day-to-day basis as opposed to just here and there, but... Uh, until next Monday, when I come back for episode number 14, good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been the Matt Burns.